today on the Talent Cast. A map, a plan, and a resolution you actually should keep. Howdy! Welcome to the Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We have instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, You can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, As always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. James Ellis here. Uh, <laughs> you may have noticed I wasn't here last week, uh, or the week at week before. Yeah, we had my the office in the house got run over by the flu. Um, you know that that is hitting what seems like most of Chicago, if not all of the U.S. Uh, it was bad. It was bad. So I apologize, but I also hope you appreciate. No one wants to hear me sick podcasting. So there you go. Um, so we skipped a couple weeks here just to kind of keep me alive. But here I am alive waiting for the coffee to cool as per usual. So here we go. Our last episode of the year. I want to squeak this one just under the wire for the year. Um, just to say we did nine. I mean, I would rather done 10. But, you know, again, you know, apparently dysentery is all the rage these days. So <laughs> here we go. So. Obviously, end of the year, you either have to, as a podcaster, it's the law, it's a federal thing, not a state or, 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 or city thing. You have to either talk about predictions for the future, which I'm not going to do, or uh, I guess that means I got to do resolutions. And, I, you know, New Year's resolutions, go Google the numbers of the people who make them. I think 60% of American adults make them and 8% actually keep them for any length of time. Um, at least that's what I heard from the last podcast I just listened to when they spouted some numbers. I'm sure they've picked up on Google. It's not incestuous at all. Thanks for asking. Um, I want to talk about a professional resolution. I don't want to talk about you need to be nicer to your employees or you need to help develop some professional development tools or you need to be more accessible and transparent, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. I'm sure there are plenty of other people going to cover that. What I want to talk about is that you need to keep a resolution starting like today to now the to say we need to simplify it it sounds crazy in a world where everything there's another channel to talk about every week there's another tool to test out every week there's another thing to look at there's another thing to kick the tires on there's another thing to spend money and integrate into existing ecosystems making the world's most complicated patchwork quilt i'm going to tell you right now as a guy who's here who literally makes his living helping you helping people spend more money on this stuff simplify now I'm going to come back to why that this doesn't lead to me to get fired uh, because I'm not telling you not to do things. I'm telling you to simplify. So here's, here, here's my thinking. Here's, here's how I see this stuff. And I, it's not specific to recruiting, so don't 
take this too personally, but I've seen this a million places. So a million, a million years ago, I worked for Wisconsin Alumni Association. I was, I started and was Bucky Badger on Twitter and Facebook for two years. Um, it was crazy when I was, you know, doing covering foot, uh, Badger football games for people in Afghanistan and Iraq who were stationed there, um, asking the scores. You know, did we make that? T- do we make that field goal? Blah blah blah. It was just crazy. Um, one of the things that was a recurring issue was the entire alumni association at the time, and again, it's been 10 years since I've worked there almost, so I'm completely disconnected to almost anybody who works there. So, hey guys, if you're listening for whatever reason, hi. Um, uh, they Most of their world revolved around email, right? You get people to give you their email address and you send them things. And some of them are newsletters every month or, bi- or bi-monthly or whatever it was, or some of them are offers or, hey, we're going to the, you know, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because the Badgers are going to the Cotton Bowl. Um, they're playing on Monday against, I want to say West Michigan. I can't remember. This isn't a sports show. Um, good for them. Didn't quite make the, the playoffs. They had a great year, blah, blah, blah. So the Alumni Association makes huge, huge, huge money when it does really well in sports because what it does is it emails everybody on its email list and said, hey, we're offering a charter package where we fly 20, 100, 1,000, whatever the number is. We can, we can, we have space. We're going to fly them to the bowl game. We're going to put them up at a hotel where there's nothing but Badger fans. There's going to be events. There's going to be pep rallies. We're bringing the band in. We're doing a thing. There's a party here. Yada yada yada. It's a package deal. There's still room to go do stuff. You know, it's not a boring package deal. But we're gonna get you the tickets to the bowl game, and then we're gonna fly you home, and you're gonna do it as a team. You're one with the Badgers, and they. That's you know the whether it's stated or not, or anybody realizes it, that's where a huge chunk of their revenue comes from. Um, revenues dip up and down every year depending on the um, the fate of both football and ba- basketball for that team. For that, uh, I know for some schools it's, it's different sports. Um, and that's really one of the re- reasons why schools invest so heavily in sports is that they are huge revenue makers, not just for alumni associations, but for the school itself. And that's, again, an ESPN show I don't want to get into. However, the alumni association, and this isn't specific to them, it's just how they ran it, they emailed everybody for everything. They had tours, they had sports tours, they had meetups, they had um, local events and regional events. There were Badger communities all around the Midwest and all around the country and all around the world. Literally, there was a Singapore one that was very, very active, super cool. Um, and we wanted to email people, let them know, hey, there's an event. Hey, we're going to be at a bar. We're going to watch a game. We're going to do a thing. There's a networking event. There is a hiring event or, you know, we are having a special speaker come in or whatever. To the point where and I'm not going to divulge numbers here, but the the number of email addresses they had were pretty staggering. I mean, if you think um, Wisconsin probably graduates twelve grand, twelve thousand people a year, give or take. Let's call it ten for math's sake, just to keep the number simple. Um, and they've collected those email and they've given email addresses away for free for years and years and years. And you're talking about six digits of email addresses of graduates, of alumnus, alumni who graduated. And that's a huge email database, right? Now, those of you who are marketers, and I know you all are, that's worth money. That's something you do. You can send messages and you can do stuff with them. And the problem was is that there were too many people doing too many things with the email database. And what was happening is that some people were getting almost no messages because what you would do is you would go to the CRM, the customer relationship manager, and say, okay, I uh, I need I need everybody who was at the last, who went, took a trip with us in the last five years. I need anybody who lives in Pennsylvania, let's call it Pittsburgh, 
who is between this age and this age who may have graduated or majored in this. And then there's a whole set of data of, of, of queries you could pull and you can pull stuff and you can say, okay, since I have you know, a business speaker speaking in Pittsburgh, I want to attract more people to him. I want to get anybody who went to the business school at Wisconsin who now resides in Pittsburgh. Pull me the list. It's 400 people or 300 people or 1,000 people or whatever that number is. And I'm going to email them all and say, hey, we got an event coming. You should show up. It's going to be for all Big Ten. It's just for Badgers, whatever it is. Um, and everybody would independently ping the email address, the, the e email database. Now, you had a person, you had three people in charge, in fact, managing that database and managing all those queries and requests, but there was no oversight over how they were all being managed. And what would happen is some people never got touched, who probably should have, and some people, I probably got an email every day to the point where they went to tear their hair out. Now, okay, so let's think about it. Now, you are... Uh, let's say you're a super famous alumni of the school, or maybe, maybe 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 not famous, maybe certainly successful to the point where you've been recognized somewhere for something. So you've got a flag somewhere, then, and you are in a big city in a major market. Um, you went to a, one of the bigger colleges on campus who they do a lot of active events. Um, you've got monthly newsletters. You've got all the sports stuff since you went to a bowl game once five years ago because that was fun. Um, you are on every email chain. Everybody's always asking for a query, and your name pops up on it, and so you start getting emails. Now, one of those queries are, like the Pittsburgh example, hey, would you mind showing up to this event? We're going to network. It's not quite a perfectly targeted uh, market for that person because that person might not be interested in networking. Maybe they're successful to the point where they a, a alumni networking event isn't really for them. Maybe they would rather star in one or speak at one, whatever. And maybe the alumni association would actually benefit by getting five bucks from that person because they attended that event and that money goes, some of that money goes to the regional group and some of that money maybe passed up to the, the chain. I don't want to get into how all that, the economics of that. But that email that asked for your time to go to an event that you aren't interested in going, that the Alumni Association may, in some regard, make $5 for, is effectively the same email as the one that says, hey, we're going to the Cotton Bowl, come drop four grand or three grand or two grand or whatever the number is, and come party with us, in which, which is where the Alumni Association makes a huge amount, five bucks, no, no, a lot more money on that. That's where the real money happens. Now, from the email standpoint, it's the same. The email that says, hey, come to this, this event and come to this bowl game are the same. They took up the same amount of that target's time. The revenue side is radically different. Okay, so we can agree on that. The problem is if I send, if I want to maximize the income out of all my revenue, out of all my databases, I want to make sure that the people who can afford to spend big ticket money they are not being annoyed like little gnats at the stupid stuff that isn't really right for them just because they happen to make it a list because no one's overseeing it, right? If I get 10 emails in a, two weeks about stupid stuff they don't care about, I'm unsubscribing. And when I unsubscribe, I am now removing myself from the pool of people who might actually go to a bowl game with you, who might drop a couple grand on you. And that's the problem. Now, this is a microcosm, if you can believe it, of the bigger problem that you're facing, right? No oversight too complicated, a million people asking for email addresses and query lists and sending emails and no one's understanding, you know, the volume of people, you know, and who's the most popular person touched and are, how many times are we touching them? And every month, let's look at the top thousand people and see where are they getting touched? Is it too much? Is it enough? Where are we missing? What's going on? No oversight whatsoever. Now, multiply that fact in your world where you don't just have email, you have social media, you have job boards and you have um, 
recruiters calling and LinkedIn emails and direct emails from a recruiter that isn't part of a, a, a CRM and all the different touch points that you have to reach people. You've got ads, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got all the different stuff. You can talk, the programmatic, the SEM, all of it. So many different ways you're touching it. And the problem, I think, is what might be happening is that we're all so, because it's so hard to be a person at the top of that pyramid, to see the bigger picture, to see how it all interplays at a micro level so that you know how person A, who is a high priority target, isn't getting beat up with the small stuff but instead getting the bigger ass. So for example, um, if you're trying to hire a new C, or no, it's not going to C-suite. Let's go director of marketing. You don't want to beat them up with job alerts for entry-level jobs, right? Now your system may not do that, may not, not send jobs per se, or may target those jobs a little bit, but that's on top of all the other stuff they're getting. And by raising their hand, that candidate is saying, I'm willing to put myself in the line of fire. I'm willing to get the glut of stuff you are likely to send me, most of which that does not apply to me, in fact, because I think there might be something useful on the other side. There might be an interesting job there. Let's say you've got someone who's interested in your brand because of a news story. You don't have a job for them, but one day you might. In fact, that person's so fantastic that you would love to hire them one day. You just can't today because you don't have that opening and that's not how you work. Are you going to just shoot them job openings for the next two years until they're ready? No, that's crazy, especially a higher level. And the problem we have is that you've got a person who runs your CRM. You've got a person who runs your email. You've got a person who runs your Facebook. You've got a person who runs your SEM. You've got a person who runs your uh, programmatic media. You've got a person who runs uh, all the stuff. you got in there, you know, you and everybody, and each each department of email is not just one person. Many times it's two and three and four people and they're making decisions and those decisions don't interact in any way, shape or form with the Facebook team or the content team or the media team or the whatever team. Everybody's making these decisions independently and no one's at the top of the channel. And what happens is, is we complain every single day. I have a great job. Why won't anybody apply for it? Well, you've made it really easy for bad people to apply and made it really hard for the best people to to really jump in and to really engage. Um, you know, let's look at social for a second because that's kind of where I live. Um, let's say you write a piece of content and you put it on social and people are responding. Now, most recruitment marketing teams don't have what I would call an exciting, engaging presence on Facebook. And when I say engaging, I don't mean a witty smile. I mean actually have a conversation on Facebook. Mostly, it's about, thanks for your question, here's a link to your answer. May, and then, and honestly, that's almost the best case scenario. You're never asking questions. You're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Can you give me more information? It's more like, I'm going to shunt you off this channel as fast as I possibly can over to customer service, over to HR, over to the ATS, wherever it is. Just get off this channel, right? Everything is about get off this channel. And that makes no sense. You're investing in this channel. As an independent channel, it should make a, a lot of sense to, in, to, to do deeper dives, to engage with people, to ask questions, to have conversations. Let me ask this. On tw if you have a Twitter channel, and I pr presume many of you do, do you follow people back? People who follow you, do you follow people back? Or do you just let them follow you and you just announce stuff? That's not an engaging channel. But you made that decision not to, you know, to not engage people, even though those people raise their hand and say, I want to engage. Because you said, well, there's this email. They need to go sign up for the email. Or they need to go join our talent pool. Or they need to go join our LinkedIn. Follow us on LinkedIn where we have all our updates. Or they need to do this. You are demanding that they 
work with your rules. And if there's anything we've learned in the last 10 years is that is a horrible strategy. Asking people and clients and customers and prospects to abide by your rules when you are neither the federal government, and maybe some of you are, um, or you don't have a big pile of money you can hand somebody is a horrible idea. Why did Uber take over taxis? Because hailing a taxi is a sketchy process if you don't live in a big city. Uh, I once had to go talk to a client in a smaller, very small metropolis. I won't name names. I swear that that town had three cabs. So it's like once I got to the airport and I got out, it took longer to wait for the cab to pick me up from that place and take me than it did to actually make it back to the airport. Those, those cabs were running around. So Uber invented. So they said, look, we have capacity. We're going to make it easier. There's a lot more cars on the road. There's a lot more people willing to give rides. You can turn rides around faster. It's good for you. You have a clear benefit. I didn't join Uber, and most people didn't join Uber because they liked the app because it was pretty because the logo was cool. They did it because it helped them and because Uber said, how can I help you in your process, in your capacity, in your circumstance? When you say, hey, everybody, just join the talent pool where I can bomb the heck out of you with my CRM and automated emails, what you're saying is, I don't care what you want, prospect. You have to abide by my rules, my house, my rules. Now, that's your prerogative, right? It is your house and it is your rules. I get that. I'm just not going to call that a winning strategy in general. I think what you need to do is simplify. So <clears throat> when I say simplify, what exactly am I talking about? Okay, let's let's start with, I don't know, your job page. Now, <clears throat> if I were to wait, if I were to take over your company today by virtue of fiat, magic wand, and uh, fairy pixie dust, I w- first thing I would do is I would realize the most important part of your career site is your job, right? That is the job. That is the central hub around which everything <clears throat> kind of circulates and orbits. Now, I'm not saying that's the right thing. I'm saying that's how it is. And I, I have some quibbles if that's the right thing. But right now, your job description on your career site is the hub of your entire career process, correct? Right? All you're trying to do is get people to see those jobs, whether it's ads or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, right? It's, please go look at our jobs. Please, 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 please go look at our jobs. And once you find the job, you have a call to action that says, please, 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 please apply for this job. Except that's not the only call to action, is it? You've got lots of calls to action. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be a little sleazy here for a second. Please excuse me. Let's pretend I'm trying to sell you a timeshare in anywhere. Uh, I don't pick Who cares? If I offer you a timeshare and a bag of oranges or a bag of lemons or a pat on the back or a sharp poke in the stick or um, a $10 bill, what are the chances you're buying that timeshare? None. You're, you're going to say, I'll, t- I'll take the oranges or the $10, right? If I give you too many options, when what I really want you to do is do the one thing I want you to do, that is buy a timeshare, you don't buy a timeshare. If I say, here's your choice. You either buy a timeshare or you get poke in the stick. Well, guess what? I'm selling a lot more <laughs> a lot more timeshares. If I can limit the calls to action to things that people can perceive a value in and not distract them with all the other stuff they could do, I'm going to sell more timeshares. Same way with jobs. Sorry to make it sleazy like that and bring it all into timeshares, but um, not that the timeshares are sleazy. I actually have – I know someone who sells them. They, they do, they're a really nice person. <laughs> Sorry. Um but yeah, whatever. Used cars, whatever. There, there's, there's, there's the everybody knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, if you're trying to get people to apply for a job, 
you don't tell them how to go buy a product. One of the things, and I tell this story a lot, I was applying for a job many years ago at a massive, major retailing company with a huge e-commerce launch. At the end of the arduous circa 2002 ATS application, maybe 2006, um, application process at the end, and this was an hour and a half of rewriting my resume because I'll remember, remember how bad the ATS used to actually be. Um, at the end of it, they said, would you like to go shopping at our store? I said, no, I'd like a job. I have no money. I'd like a job. <laughs> I don't have any money to buy at your store. That's distracting. That's crazy. That's wrong. If on your career site it says, do you want to go shopping? Do you want to learn more about all of our uh, products and services? Do you want to um, get a demo? That's all distracting, which is the primary reason, I think, you need a separate career site from your corporate or consumer site, right? That's a clear line. Hey, look, I'm trying to get people to apply for a job here. If you keep distracting them with the stuff that isn't about buying a job, they're going to go away. They're going to get distracted. And chances are, if they're here to apply for a job, they're probably not here to demo your enterprise software or demo your whatever it was. And we both lose, you know, right? You know, what's the, the Russian, um, uh, saying a, a dog that chases two rabbits catches none. If you're trying to hit two targets at once, you can't. You have to focus on one. You, you have to be laser focused. And that's what I mean by simplify. You have to be laser focused on what your goal is. So going back to your job description, look right now at every single, and I'm, I'm literally hammering my knee right now. I swear. I'm. That's my, that's my hand. That's my knee. Uh, you have to look at every single link off that page right now. Just do it. And I, honestly, if you really want to hurt yourself, go to the whiteboard and write each one down. Obviously, you've got one for home. Obviously, you've got an about us. Obviously, you've got a locations. Obviously, you've got a search for jobs. Okay, got it. That's part of the header. Can't change that. I'd like to, but I'm not gonna. You should. You should. If you look at a good squeeze page, if someone's trying to sell you something, they strip out all that navigation. They have one call to action repeated 10 times, and that call to action is the exact same formatted slightly differently or phrased slightly differently, but all takes you the exact same place. Give us your email address, sign up for this thing, whatever it is. So I think I could quibble with the header, but I'm not going to go because I know that gets political. Okay. Hey, you're in the middle of looking for a job. Would you like to go look at our Facebook page? No, I'm here. Facebook sent me here. Facebook, I'm not, you don't make a Facebook page so I leave the career site and go to the Facebook page, right? You have a Facebook page so that I find it on Facebook or that you have a Facebook ad that draws me to Facebook and drives me here. Why would you turn me around? That's like a sign inside the restaurant door that says, would you like to try outside? No, I just came in. <laughs> I'm hungry. Social links that say, would you like to go elsewhere? Huge, hugely problematic. Almost never done well. I've seen it done okay. I've seen it. I've seen it done once well. Um, and then, of course, if those uh, uh, social uh, social links are linking to corporate or consumer sites, that's even worse. Um, you're, again, you're just sending them away. You've got links to other jobs. You've got links to related content. You've got links to join our talent pool. You've got links to click here to talk to a recruiter live in text. You've got links for this. You've got links for that. You've got links to the footer. You've got links to see all our locations. You've got links to everything. Here's some awards we won. <laughs> Somewhere in there is a button that says apply for this job. Right? I hope. One would assume. But it's buried in all these other distractions. Now, I get the impulse to say, okay, we know we're not going to convert 100% of people who land on our job descriptions because that would be crazy town. 
I get that. I completely agree. But the impetus to say, well, if they don't want the timeshare, we should sell them some oranges. And if they don't want the oranges, we should sell them a $10 bill. If they don't want the, there's this cascade of, if they don't want that, then maybe they want that. And if they don't, and it, it cascades down to whatever the smallest possible call to action is, which might be uh, look at another job, which I don't think is a bad call to action, but it's distracting. I mean, I look at, you go, go to look at, go to medium.com and any story media.com. Do you notice how incredibly clean it is? There is no distractions from getting the reader to absorb the point being made. There's no ads, there's no flashing stuff, there's no, hey, go look at this thing. Hey, go, anything that's about, hey, if you don't like the call to action, go join our Facebook group. It's all at the bottom. It's all buried at the end of, okay, you've absorbed the information. I haven't sold you properly. All right, now what? But putting all those social links at the top and all that stuff up and down the right-hand rail where you're halfway through reading the job description your eye just goes, oh, there's another link I'm going to go click. Oh, I forgot where I was. Well, I guess I'm leaving. That's how you that's how you shoot yourself in the foot. So when I talk about simplify, I mean evaluating each one of these pieces and saying, what's really working? Go to your analytics and look at those links. What's really working? How many people are actually going to your About Us page? How many of them came to your About Us page from a job description? That's like t in two seconds I can pull that out of, your, out of your analytics right now. That is the easiest thing to ask for. Excuse me, coffee sip. Mm. That's simple stuff. The problem is it costs, it is, it is, it's easier and costs less for us to say, yeah, let's just throw an About Us link. And I'm using that as an example. I'm not saying About Us links are bad. It costs us less to just say, yeah, let's just throw that link up there than it does to say, what is the opportunity cost? What are we distracting people from doing? Now, again, you can't convert 100% of your audience. And once they've read the job description and they've realized this isn't really what I want, you have to ask yourself, okay, if this isn't really what they wanted and they didn't click the call to action I wanted, i.e. apply, why? Well, there's probably, those reasons probably fall into two big buckets. This is not the job I want. This is not the location I want. Or finally, I don't have enough information. Okay. <laughs> okay, now we're getting somewhere. If you know your audience did not apply for the job because this is not the right job for them, because they're not qualified, because they couldn't do it, because it requires travel, okay. You know what you're going to do now? Show more jobs. They didn't say they didn't like you. They just said there's, there's, there's some sort of limiting factor from that job that says, no, I bet you have other jobs, and maybe they'd like to learn about them, right? Okay. If they get to the bottom of the job description and go, yeah, this isn't the company I want, you know what you want to do? Let them leave. And frankly, there's nothing you can do to stop them, obviously, but ignore that audience. You know, Maybe you can kind of pitch them something else some other way, but they're not right for you, and that's fine. Don't go chasing after you know rabbits that are never going to let you, you – know, whatever. Don't, don't go chasing after stuff that doesn't help. The final bucket, which was um, – I need more information. Well, that's where your related job, related content is. That's where learn more about us on. Maybe you know if you actually have an engaging presence on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, have them go learn about you there. I mean, the fact that you're asking, actually sending them away is a little crazy to me, but take that information, duplicate it on LinkedIn, and duplicate it on your career site. Why wouldn't it be on the career site? Now, I'm not saying. Oh, by the way, uh, and then at the end of it, say if you you know if there's no job for you, that's the other one I forgot. If at the first bucket, there's, this isn't the right job for you, you know what? You give them a link to your talent community. Only then, only then do you give them that link, that form that says, yes, I want to get more information, right? 
that's how you convert people because you're not by saying here's 20 things pick one you say here's the thing i'm offering do you want it no okay well now that you've said no what else can we do this is you are not a grocery store you are not a Target or a Walmart or a big box chain. You're not there to offer 17,000 options of to-dos. You're there to get them to click on the button and apply. Now, some of that process may involve a securitous route in which you get people to join a talent community, maybe join Facebook and maybe listen around and maybe get a couple pieces of content sent to them and then maybe get the alert that says there's a job that's perfect for them and then they apply and that's fine too. But in the end, it's all about the real call to action that's called apply. Now, in order to simplify, Again, I'm not saying not to do things. I love Facebook. I mean, I uh, love love and hate. <laughs> Facebook makes me nuts. But it's super effective and super powerful when done right, as is Twitter, as is LinkedIn, as is media, as is programmatic, as is SEM, as is, all of it. All of it useful. I'm not, not, not denigrating any of it. I love it all. But much like the Alumni Association and the email address, I think it's all over the map. I think a million decisions are being made by a million different people independent of the core, I don't know, need, the KPI, that is what you're measured by, and everybody's making decisions incorrectly. And I think what you need to do is figure out how do you understand the bigger system, understand the bigger process, and, and kill and move and eliminate and shift the stuff that's getting in the way, right? So what does that mean? Well, let's go back to your whiteboard. I don't know why I assume you have a whiteboard. Let's just pretend. Maybe you got a big piece of paper. Maybe you got a, you know what? If you don't have a big whiteboard, you know that you can whiteboard all over your windows, right? Just as good. Anyway, go to your windows. <laughs> There's a tip. Um, you need to map out the customer journey, the true customer journey. And you start with every possible conceivable way someone finds you and learns about you. Yeah, you're gonna do your job boards indeed. Yeah, you're gonna do your LinkedIn's. Yeah, you might do a glass door. Yeah, you might have your Facebook channel. You might have your stories on organic, you, on, you know, on your content on Google. You might have, if you're sharing content other places, you might have other programmatic media. You might have, eh, wow, let's go crazy. Your recruiters, when they're looking for people, your hiring events, your campus events, your all of it. What is the way that people become aware of you and interested in your job? List every one. Don't forget a thing. Don't forget a thing. And next to each one, you have to start saying, okay, now what? Now that you've spent all this money on media and content and social and all these other things and events and, and hiring things and campus stuff, you got them in the door. You got them at the top of the funnel. Now what? And I don't think the now what is the same for everybody. I think talking to campus kids and talking to experienced IT people and talking to senior management radically different radically different processes mostly because they have radically different expectations of how to look for information and find and work with your site look you get in a 22 year old kid and i'm saying kids because i'm old um they're used to mobile they're used to facebook they're used to snapchat they're used to all this stuff they're used to doing this so fast it makes your head spin they have a real simple resume they just need to hit apply that's their process simple 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 how are they finding you? Connect that process by which they find you to a smooth, streamlined path that just gets them to the gets them to the button. Get them to the apply button as fast as possible, and you just walk it through. Okay, for your experienced IT person, 
who has a good resume and is it sitting on what's the odds of their resumes on Dropbox? What's the odds that their resume is sitting on their computer? What's the odds that their resume is on you know is easily accessible? What's what are the odds that they're going to apply via mobile? What are the odds that they're going to spend any time on Facebook learning about you? Or are they more likely to go on LinkedIn? Are they more likely to use Google? Are they more ask questions, right? Talk to your recruiters and say, okay, this audience, how do they find us? What do they need? What do they do? Do these people take forever to apply or do they go super fast like the kids? Go look at your analytics. If they come in from Facebook, do they stay for very long? Do they come back? Do they apply? What is the conversion rate of a Facebook versus an Indeed? And I'm going to tell you right now, nothing. (laughs) The conversion rate for Facebook is minuscule. The conversion rate for Indeed is massive because people who come in from massive, come in from Indeed are ready to apply. That's why they were Indeed in the first place, right? But those are the kinds of processes you have to map out. And I want you on every single step of that process to look at every single link on every one of those pages and say, and where does this send them? Okay. So you got them from Indeed. You got them to their job board. What are all the different ways they can leave? Is it going to social? Is it going to join a talent community? Is it to learn about us? Is it to go to corporate site? Is it to go to wherever? List them all. Do you really need them? And then I, anything you can say, yeah, I do need that, you have to work with a designer to say, how do I position this information such that it's not getting in my way? Right? I'm just thinking about, you know, I'm thinking of an Ikea manual, right? Yeah, it's got the goofy-looking drawing guy with a big nose, and it's weird-looking. He looks like a kind of a slobby ghost or whatever. I don't know. Um, but the instructions are trimmed down to the point where I'm not distracted by warranty information. I'm not distracted by, oh, wait, these are the instructions for Japanese. Or I'm not distracted by what to do if I'm missing a part. I'll worry about that when I get there. That Put that stuff in the back. 99 times out of 100, the person who uses the manual has a fairly straightforward process. They follow the instructions. All the parts are there. They build the bookcase or they build the table or they do the thing, right? And they're done. If you put warranty and what to do if this happens and don't go to the retailer and don't do these things, the beginning, what you're doing is you're baking your entire use case around the 1% of fails instead of the 99% wins. And you're annoying the people who you were already happily satisfying to serve the 1% who would have figured out pretty quickly, oh, flip to the back of the book. The information I need is in the back of the book. That's similar to what our career sites are doing. They're so focused on serving the wrong people and serving them for the wrong reasons that they're getting them in their own way. Right? You're spending money to get someone to look at a job description on your site. Get out of their way. Figure out what they really, really want and give it to them. Not what some of them might want. Some of them might want a Twinkie. (laughs) You can't deliver. Twinkie delivery technology, as much as Amazon is working on that very quickly right now, it's not really ready for online use. So get out of that business. Get out of the stuff that gets in the way. Yes, talent communities are incredibly powerful. I love talent communities. I think they work really, really well when they work really, really well. However, it's not the first thing you ask me when I walk in the door. Put them at the bottom. Put them in a way where, okay, oh gosh, it's below the fold. They'll never see it. Yeah, well, there's a limited amount of information above the fold. The more stuff you say, well, they might need this, they might need this. You know what you push below the fold? The actual information and call to action. You're so worried about the case that might be, you're not focused on the case that is where you can convert today.
And that's what I mean by simplify. Get out of your way. Get out of your own way. Map out the process, map out the steps, map out all the pieces of the system. Understand how and when people leave and come back. You want to get really good at this? Figure out when they go to Facebook on their own. Figure out when they go to Glassdoor and LinkedIn and all those and Google to, to learn more about you. Figure out when they come back and if and what information, you know, do they need? Plug the holes. Now, as a content guy, and I put myself squarely in that category, I love content. I think content is super, super important. You know what content doesn't do? Drive applications. Why? Because it's not a job description. Content's there to get people interested in the job. That's all it can do. It gets them interested. Once they're interested, get out of their way. <laughs> I think your job description should be clean, lean and meaning clean. Push everything that isn't all about getting someone to apply at the bottom or off to the side or put them in a, in a little window that pops out or something or talk to a user experience person. There's all the different ways you can do that. I'm just saying we're stuffing our pages full of stuff because it because we can, because it's easy to just glue another feature into the thing rather than saying, is this really necessary? Um, one last story and I'll let you go. So everybody remember Microsoft Word, no, I'm not saying it so they're dead, but about eight years ago, maybe it was seven years ago, they had a radical redesign of what they call the ribbon at the top, right? The file edit, you know, all the buttons and all the, you had to make a bullet, how to make a bullet. Um, all that stuff got reinvented. Because what they looked at is they said, look, we're at like Word 8 or 9 or 10 or whatever version we're at. It's some massive number. Word's been around for a long time. Um, and every new version of Word came out with 10 new cool features, which means 10 new cool buttons and sometimes 20 new cool buttons. And at some point you go, how many buttons do I need? How often am I going to adjust the margins? Right? Maybe once in a blue moon. So why is it so readily available? Why is that one of the easy things to do at the top of that ribbon? Isn't font, font size, bold, italic, and underline probably the most important things to do? Right? Isn't save one of the most important things I need to do? Isn't that the thing I'm going to do 20 times in the course of writing my document is hit the, the save button or control S or whatever? Isn't that the most important thing? I'm not saying you're hiding it, but when you put all these cool features to, hey, new version, new reason to buy, all this stuff, that's not a use case scenario. And so what Word had or Microsoft had to do is they had to reinvent that ribbon and say, okay, what are people really using and what's the stuff that's arcane? You know, the, the process by which one inserts a automatic dynamic table of contents happens once every once in a while. <laughs> that is a blue moon situation. Let's bury it. Be, and you know what? That's fine because the once a year or once every six months I have to make a table of contents and I forget how to do it. I Google it and three seconds later I know how to do it. I'm not doing it often enough that I need to make that a standard practice. I do that once a blue moon and when I need to do it, I go look it up and there's the answer. I'd rather not have the process by which I make an automatic dynamic table of contents in my head pushing out more important things that I do 10 times a day. Same kind of thinking is what leads to most of these career sites where it's just chock full of stuff and features and hey look another way we can glue this to this and hey look another way we can connect that to that and another way we can get them ugh, get out of the way simplify so that's all the time i have for today we're more in the point i think i've annoyed everybody uh <laughs> i'm james ellis thanks for listening uh, yes 2016 is not the end of it though it has been a weird year all around uh we're gonna keep this going in 2017 
my plan is to talk about Facebook and Snapchat for some reason because apparently every third episode I have to talk about Facebook. Um, that's the next episode, I think. That's the plan. So otherwise, have a great day. Uh, tell your friends. Please let people know about this thing. We appreciate you sharing this out. So sorry for being sick. Um, I will Trust me, I don't get sick very often. It was bad. Um, I appreciate you hanging in there. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you sharing. If you leave a review, that we would love that. If you share this with a friend, we would love that. If you want to learn more, if you want to engage, if you just want to raise your hand and say, hey, thanks, or hey, you suck. Either way, don't care. I'm on Twitter, at The War for Talent, or you can go to our website, thetalentcast.com. Uh, and you can figure out the ugly mug behind this wonderful dulcet tones. Uh, And uh, there you go. So thanks very much, and we'll see you next year.